9, a little bit of background before we start reading. The church has just got going. It is, uh, it is alive and it's active. Peter has preached this sermon and at one moment 5,000 people plus have come to the Lord and, and things are moving, things are happening. Um, uh, there's been the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and it's a great time. And, and things are happening, but, but there is still some problems. Things, things are going on as this thing begins, and, and some of, some of the, the widows and the poor being neglected, and there's different issues that are arising with the leadership, and, and there's different things that are happening. So uh, the idea of, well, it's this kind of perfect utopia time isn't the right picture. There, there, there's problems that are still happening even here at the very beginning of the church. And starting here with Acts chapter 10, uh, God is going to address Peter with a certain problem that he has with Peter. And Peter's the leader. You know, Peter's the guy that he's just, he's stood up and, and he's, he, he's leading this movement of people that are, are now Christ followers. They would call themselves, not Christians, but at this time they would call themselves followers of the way. That if you, were, if you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are a follower of the way. And God is getting ready to deal with this leader of the beginning of this church. And, and to do so, he starts off with speaking to a Roman army officer. And his name is Cornelius. And he says, that, actually, I'll just read at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. In Caesarea lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius. He was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man and, and was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and he prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel responded, your prayers and your gifts to the poor, they've been received by God in his offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon a Tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants a devout soldier, one who was his personal attendant, and he told them what happened, and he sent them off to Joppa. Now, the next day, Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, and Peter, this is Peter, the leader of the church, these men are coming to give them this message. He went on the flat roof to pray. Now, it was about noon, and he was hungry. So it's lunchtime. He's getting hungry. It's time for lunch, but he goes up to the roof to pray. Now, while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance and, and saw the skies open and something like a large sheet was let down in its four corners. And the sheet was all sorts of, of animals and reptiles and birds. And, and then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws had declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Now, the same vision was repeated three times. Then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to the heaven, and Peter was very perplexed. What could this mean? So Peter has this vision. Context for a second. 
Think about it. it it's noontime. He's hungry. What was that? What happened? Oh, yeah. That was a little early. I was like, wait, wait, that wasn't funny yet. Okay. I'll get there. That's going to make sense in a minute. So it's lunchtime. He's getting hungry. He, he gets on the roof to pray. And all of a sudden, he kind of has this vision where the sheet, let's see if I could get it, falls from the heaven. That was way cooler when I tried to do it earlier. But <laughs> so the sheet falls from the heaven, right? And, 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 and on it, there's all of these things. There's this vision of pork chops because good Jews don't eat pork chops because if we were to look back in the book of Leviticus, there was this list of all of these rules and regulations of everything that the Lord said was unclean and pork was one of them. Another one is they could not have a shrimp cocktail. No shrimp cocktail for you, Peter. Also, he couldn't eat any clams. Man. That's, that's a hard one right there, especially for Danny. If y'all don't, I mean, you go out there, that man right there can find 200 clams in like five minutes. Let's see, we can get these on here so y'all can see them good. All right, some clams. And then, and then this, a personal, personal favorite, the oyster. The oyster, oh, so you either love it or hate it. See, some of you guys are like, no, nah, I could do without it. But you don't know the beauties of the oyster okay what else we got and then then it was also that you couldn't have any lobster no lobster not allowed jewish law prohibited it no lobster you know what you also could not have the ham not allowed so he's on the rooftop he's praying these things and then probably the biggest of all no bacon. <laughs> no. Which every guy in the room is like, what? How is that even possible? How, how could you not eat bacon? He's having these dreams and this vision, and the, the sheet falls from the sky, and there's all of these animals. And, and, and he, Peter, you could eat this stuff. Take, kill, and eat. No, not me. I've never touched any bacon. Uh, side note, the fast food's most deadliest sandwich Wendy's Baconator, 1,300 calories, 38 grams of fat, the Baconator. And so Peter's saying, listen, I've never had the Baconator. I've seen the commercials. I've seen all the Wendy's commercials. I I know what it's all about. People, I've talked about these things. And, And even though I'm hungry, I can't eat it. It's against your law. You say it very clearly here in Leviticus chapter 11 and throughout the book. Now, in Judaism, they have a word for this. This is called kasrut. And the meaning of this word is meaning fit, proper, or correct. We would use the word kosher. If something is kosher, that means it's fit, it's proper, it's correct, it's good good to eat, part of the diet. And then there are certain things that are non-kosher. They are unclean food. In the book of Leviticus, again, there is a very clear list of what God says is unclean. These are some of the things that Peter would have seen in this vision. All different types. And throughout history, uh, super smart rabbis and pastors and priests and, and people have 
taken this and they've looked and they've said, well, why, God? Why would you say that these things are unclean? Why no lobster? Why no pork? Uh, why are there certain uh, birds that we can't eat? Uh, you, you couldn't eat. There's, certain, there's vultures, uh, donkeys, camels, snakes. All of these things would be considered unclean. You couldn't eat rabbit. All of these different things. And there was a list. Of, and well, why, God? Why, what is it that you have against the lobster, against the rabbit? Why? And, and, and so, so people have kind of come up with different things. And, and some have said, well, many of these animals carry diseases. And so God's doing it for health reasons with the people. And it's because they can, uh, carry diseases and spread it to the people. Uh, but then, but that doesn't apply to all of them because... The rabbit, well, what about the rabbit? The, the, these guys don't carry diseases, and, and, and it's not a health issue because, uh, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't eat dead things and stuff like that. It's not a scavenger like some of these things. So it's not, it's not a matter of carrying the disease, or maybe it's because some of these things are scavengers, people say, and they have different, uh, just the filth about them, and that's what makes them unclean. Uh, and then other people would say, well, th- it was uh, practices of their pagan neighbors, so the Jewish people were surrounded by all these different pagan neighbors that would have all these weird customs and, and, and different things like uh, boiling, go- boiling the goat in its mother's milk. Like this would be a, a practice that they would worship to their gods and say, well, maybe this is some of the reason why. But in all of these things, there would always diff- be like exceptions. Well, it doesn't apply to this animal and there's these practices and these health reasons. And so none of them made sense. So people are trying to ask these questions. Well, why God? And, and one rabbi puts it like this. For all of the things that God says is unclean, there's only one common element, and that is this. For some reason or the other, something is abnormal about that animal. Something is abnormal about that animal. It does something a little bit different. It doesn't behave like the rest of its species, whether it's chewing the cud, uh, whether it doesn't have scales and gills like the rest of the fish, whether it's a scavenger, all of these things. But even with that description, there is the reality that sometimes, uh, and, this is, and this is what the Jewish rabbis come to say, there are things in the scripture that we don't know why. We don't know why God says that this particular animal is clean or unclean. We don't know why God says don't touch this thing. And Peter's had this vision, all of this stuff, and God's now saying kill and eat. And this is huge for him because he has lived his life avoiding all of these things. He, he's a, at, at this point in Peter's life, he, he's probably at the age of 50 plus. He spent years and years uh, being a good s- student of the scriptures and of the word. And he's avoided all of these. I have never eaten any bacon. I haven't done it. Surely not, God. Uh, I've walked by and and maybe he's seen all of the people eating these things and he's gone by the parties and man, I've seen people having the oyster roast and I've seen people cracking open the lobster, but God, I have never touched it. And even though, even in this moment, though I'm on this rooftop and I'm hungry, I'm not going to eat it. I may have wanted it before, but God, I have never touched it. Or, or maybe, maybe instead of saying, Lord, I wanted it but never touched it, maybe he had this attitude of when he walked by everyone else that was eating these foods, maybe he walked by and said, how could they do that? Don't they know that that is unclean? 
And here's what I have found. When we are often confronted with things that we would call abnormal, unworthy, unclean, we react in two common ways. There's, there's a bunch of different ways, but two of the ways that are common is one, is we resist it, but deep down in our hearts, we want the bacon. We want it. And I'm, I'm not going to touch that because I know I shouldn't touch that because it's against the law, and I know God frowns upon that, but when we get by ourselves and we're really honest and we're looking in the mirror, I sure would like it. Or we see the people that are doing the things that we don't agree with, and we begin to take on this arrogant attitude that in some way because we're followers of Christ, we're better than they are. And, and how, could, how could he do that? How could he cheat on his wife? Or, or how could this person be hooked on drugs? Or, or how could you be at the bar this time? Or, or I can't believe that they would do this or, or, or be doing these things. Don't they know? And we begin to take on this attitude of like, we are holy and we are clean and they are unclean. And here's what I found. Those that kind of obtained this strictest form of what I'm going to point out to be a false idea of holiness are often the ones that struggle the most and fall the hardest. These are the ones that come and say, Lucas, I I just can't believe that you don't read out of the King James Version of the Bible. I'm so upset. I I just can't believe. Lucas, you might be going to hell for that one. I mean, you think I'm joking, but I'm serious. And only to find out later that, dude, you're hooked on crack. And you're worried about me reading out of the New Living Translation. Or, or what about the person that we're so easy to condemn someone? I can't believe that you listen to that kind of music. You, you listen to that? How, how could you listen to that? Uh, and only to find out later that they're cheating on their spouse. See, they have this the strict form of of holiness and identity based upon these laws and these rules and these regulations, everything that we could do to make ourselves holy. And and they themselves have found themselves deceived. This is the pastor that gets up every Sunday and preaches against homosexuality only to later be found out that he is a homosexual. And it's been uncovered in the church time and time again. Or to preach against these things that, whatever they may be, only to find out that they've been struggling with that problem for years. And and here's the natural reaction. As as some of us, they want to say, well, that's the hypocrisy. And that's obvious. The the, the hypocrisy of, but here's the thing. We're all hypocrites. On some level or the other, we are all hypocrites. See, there's a level, though, that which your hypocrisy goes beyond that to deception, where you actually begin to believe the lie, where you've told yourself the lie for so long, now you believe it's okay to cheat on your spouse. Now you believe it's okay because God told me that I'm somehow special. And it's okay that I do these things. And so now you've gone beyond that into deception where you can't even see it anymore. You can't even see it. And God is dealing with Peter. Because Peter has some hypocrisy and some deception in his life 
that he himself doesn't even realize. He's looked at all these things, and he's had this vision, and he said, just like many of us have had that same reaction, no, not me. I've never touched these things. I wouldn't do it. It's against your law, God. Wait a second. And then he, he, he kind of wakes up from this vision, and then it says this, and he was perplexed. What could this mean? And then all of a sudden, the story continues where these men that Cornelius have sent are knocking at the door. These three men, and their first words are this, our Roman master has sent us to you. Will you come back to his house? Now, the reason why this statement that they have said to Peter is so huge right after this dream is because this, no self-respecting Jew would ever set foot in a Gentile's house. As a matter of fact, Peter even says it. Peter gets to the house and says this, you know that it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home or even to associate with you. You know why? Because you are unclean. You are like all of these foods that God says to stay away from. And so God is dealing with Peter because Peter is full of prejudice and bigotry and elitism and thinking that he has it all together. I've never touched anything. I, never, I wouldn't even go to. And all of a sudden, Peter has this realization. It's not even about the food. God, you're dealing with me about my view of people and of what you have called clean. Because up to this point, there was the Jews, and then there were the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, well, that's the, the sinners. These are the guys that are hooked on drugs. And these are the guys that, are, that, that, that are, do all of the things that we point our nose at the air at and say, I would never do such a thing. And all of a sudden, Peter's starting to get it. He's starting to, his hypocrisy, his, his deception is being realized. And he says this, listen, I'm going to this household. And he steps in to Cornelius' home. If you were another Jew and you were on the streets and you were seeing this, it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is Peter doing? This is, this is the head of the church here. He's going into his house. See, there was a reason why Jesus was called a friend of sinners. See, sometimes I think as Christians, as church people, we begin to form these little bubbles. We begin to, all all of our life is just associated with other people that believe exactly the same way that we believe. And we surround ourselves with people that, that, that don't stretch us, but just affirm what we already believe to help us feel better about what we believe. Are you tracking with me? And the second someone comes and challenges that, we put up this wall. The second someone comes and does something a little different, Jesus does something different, they want to crucify him. They want to stone him. (laughs) Jesus, don't you know that you're eating with sinners, you're eating with Gentiles, you're eating with tax collectors, you've got prostitutes washing your feet. Hold on a second, Jesus. This is not right. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Than what you're used to. And all of a sudden, Peter has the realization. It's not not eating the bacon 
that makes me holy, but it's what Christ has done for me. It's not what I do. It's not what I've done in all all my years of following the rules and all of my things to try to be the good person, but it's everything that Christ has done for me. It's the only reason why I can be called holy. Think about that for a moment. See, so often we spend our lives trying to prove our Christianity, trying to prove ourselves to God, trying to, well, if I could just love him more, if I could just, love, then I'll somehow be a good person. If I, if I could just, if I could do all of these things, then I could feel more, more holy. And God says, your righteousness is like a filthy rag. And Peter's, God is pointing out to Peter, you are the bacon. You are the very one that you've been trying to avoid because no matter, even though you've avoided these things all of your life, you're still filthy. Even though you're the leader of the church, even though you've just seen all of these great, wonderful miracles happen, Peter, you still need me. And don't call unclean what I have called clean. And this is, this is, this moment where Peter, Peter has a choice to make. And he walks in and he associates and he says these words to, to Cornelius. God has told me not to look at anything that's unclean that he is called clean. This is a huge moment for him. It's a huge moment for the church. And Peter is humble enough to realize what God is doing. He's doing something different. Because it's not just about the food. See, in Leviticus, there were all these other laws about people and what made a person unclean. And so if you had leprosy, you were unclean. And if you had certain skin diseases, you were unclean. And if a woman was on her period, she was unclean. And if you touched a a dead body, you were unclean. As a matter of fact, if that dead body happened to come in contact with some of your possessions, then your possessions were now unclean. If the body of a dead animal fell into your pot of water, that water would now be considered unclean. And not just the water, but the pot. And so by their law, they would have to take, dispose of the water, and then smash the pot. Because everything was considered unclean. You can read about that in Leviticus 11 and Leviticus chapter 15. All of these things in which we find ourselves trying to look and find holiness and to be considered, well, clean. And then all of these things that God specifically rules out, well, this is unclean. And God is doing something different. There's this moment in the scriptures where Jesus heals lepers and opens blind eyes and, and all of these things that would be considered taboo and Jesus goes and well he he touches there's this woman that has this issue of blood and she's had it for 12 years having this issue of blood and so because she has this issue she's considered unclean so imagine the implications of that the implication of that means so for 12 years No one's ever touched her. Nobody's touched this woman because she's unclean. 
And people that are unclean, well, they go to the outside of town. They go to these certain sections. And if you were even to walk by them, you had to cry out and you had to say, unclean, unclean, so people wouldn't touch you. And this woman hasn't had or felt a touch in 12 years because she is unclean. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking through town. And what does she do? She touches him. And when she touches him, this is huge because she is risking it all. Because by law, by law, she is now making him unclean and unfit. And Jesus stops and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Who has touched me? And to which the disciples look at him and says, Jesus, what are you talking about? We're in this great crowd of people. Everyone's touching you. Everyone's bumping you. They're like, no, 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 no. Jesus says, someone has touched me. See, there was lots of people that touched him, but there was only one that made the connection. And she did it by risking it all and saying, I, 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 I could get killed for this. If anything, he's going to be put unclean like me. And what does Jesus do? No, it didn't make him unclean. It made her clean. And Jesus is saying all of these things, all of this way of looking at holiness, everything that, that, that you think that you can abstain from and keep your life in some sort of Christian bubble that will make you feel better about yourself for who you are, that does not make you holy. It's everything that I have done for you. It's the complete work of the cross. So don't call unclean what I have called clean. I want all of my children. I want all of them. Does the lamb that was slain not deserve the reward of his suffering? And God's saying, I don't care how unclean you think this person is. I don't care how far gone you think they are. I know you feel like they're just the trash and the scum of society. Jesus says, I want them. Because it's not about what they do. It's about what I've done. And I can make them clean. See, Jesus is doing a new thing. And he's showing the leader of his church that, listen, if we're going to do this new thing, you can't act the way you've always acted. And there's going to be some times that people aren't going to understand what you're doing. I know you're going into a Cornelius' home, but this is where I'm sending you. Um, years ago, I was, not too many years ago, actually, it was, well, Seven-ish, eight, nine, well, okay, nine years ago. Um, I was at this certain place, this party, concert, and all of a sudden I realized I was in this moment with me and my buddy Alan. Um, We're standing there, and all of a sudden we realized we've got like seven lesbian couples all around us, and everybody's smoking pot. And, And we're kind of like, are we getting a contact buzz from this? We're, we're not sure. And then, like, how did we, because, like, these were our friends. Uh, we were working at an Applebee's, and they had invited us to go to this Dave Matthews concert. And we were like, yeah, Dave Matthews. What would you say? Anyway, and then some of y'all got that, the other. Okay. <laughs> like, and so we're at this concert, and we're, like, we're in this group, and, and, like, everybody's getting high, and me and Alan are just, they're our friends, and we're talking to them, and, and they know where we stand, and, and we just thought it amazing that they invited us. And, and so we're, we're not smoking the pot or anything, but, you know, people around, 
I'm getting beer spilled on me and stuff. And later on, I had to go to this other particular Christian event and didn't have time to change or anything. So I walk in. I smell like pot. I smell like beer. And I had this moment. There was a part of me that said, well, should I explain what I was doing? And, and, but then I just kind of felt like, nope, I'm not going to do that. I don't think Jesus would. See, Jesus hung out. There was a reason why he was called a friend of sinners. And when, but the thing is, this, this is what's amazing. And, and I go back to this woman with this issue of blood. See, they didn't make him unclean, but he made her clean. And it's not that they made me dirty, but my very presence was showing light to them. And then I had these couples coming up afterwards, and there were those that received Christ. Later on, weeks down the road, months down the road, because of my friendship with those that others would count as outcasts. But to the church world, what is Lucas doing? And if later on tonight you see me coming out the club, what is Lucas doing? Oh my gosh, I saw him. He smelled like beer. See, I think sometimes you have to risk getting dirty if you want to see people get clean. And you could take this message, listen, there's, there's balance to this. If you're an alcoholic, don't go hang at the bar. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's moderation with this. But what I'm saying is, don't for one second believe that because you follow all the rules, that somehow that makes you holy. Don't for one second fall into that hypocrisy and that deception that says, no, not me. I have never nor will ever touch such a thing. Because God's saying, well, you've got a lot to learn. You need me. And God's doing a new thing. And the new thing's not going to look like the old thing. You are free to serve. You're free to serve the poor. You're free to serve the angry. You're free to serve the hurt. You're free for people to not understand and call you a friend of sinners. You want to be light. It shines bright in some of the darkest places. And if we spend our lives trying to avoid that darkness... Man, that's a bubble I don't want to be in. I love you guys. I love church. I love that we could come here and do this. But I love all of my other brothers and sisters that are, that are doing some of the most terrible things imaginable, even some right at this moment. And there's a part of me that says, just come in. You're welcome. You're welcome here. Like, far from me to try and get the splinter out of your eye when I have this big plank in my own eye. Because I need Jesus too. I need Jesus too. And, and last night, um, I was watching this movie, and it was just kind of one of those days where nothing, nothing was wrong 
but nothing was right either. It was just kind of like, God, I, I just... I just feel like in my life, I'm kind of missing something. I don't know what that something is, but Lord, there's this kind of thing that I've twisted somehow that's not right with your word. It's not right with how I read the scriptures, and God, help me. And and what I kind of felt like God was saying to me last night, and maybe to some of you, especially some of you men in the room this morning, is that we've spent a lot of time trying to love Christ, trying to be good husbands, trying to be good fathers. And in a lot of ways, we've failed miserably. In a lot of ways, we, we keep stumbling over some of those same stumbling blocks. Some, in some ways, we keep doing those things that we don't want to do, like Paul says in his letters. And, and he brought me back to John. And in the book of John... When he's writing this letter, he never refers to himself as John. Every time in the book of John, he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He didn't refer to the one whom loved Jesus, but he referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. You see, every bit of his identity, every bit of his being was wrapped up in the fact that, yes, Jesus loves me. And it's not what I can do for him, but it's what he has done for me. And it doesn't matter what you've done, guys. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you are. Yes, Jesus loves you. He loves you just as you are. You can't earn it. You can't withstand from all of the things And live the holiest possible life by all the rules and all the regulations. Because at the end of the day, when you're really honest with yourself, you still feel dirty. Because you need Jesus. And at the end of the day, I want to die not knowing that I love Jesus, but knowing that he loved me. Because on my best day... (laughs) I can't love him even a fraction of the way that he loved me. On my best day, when I do everything right, and when everything falls into place, it's still, because I know my heart, I I, I feel the dark motives. I feel the things that say, well, maybe you're doing this for this reason. And I have to say, wait a minute. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org.
come to 